G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. A significant time in the nation's history and we'll be talking about the issues that are facing the nation over this coming hour with our special guest, John Anderson, who's former Deputy Prime Minister and Leader of the Nationals. Uh, He was uh, in that role uh, between 1999-2005 and always enjoy the insights of John Anderson, particularly as he speaks so well from a Christian biblical perspective on so many issues. John Anderson, welcome along to 2020. Good to be with you. John, uh, the big issue that everyone's been talking about, it's dominating the headlines, and uh, while you've got the election uh, detail in the headlines, it's got equal status, and that's what's happened with the Brexit uh, over the weekend, or at least from last Friday. Uh, It is a huge issue for the whole world. Uh, Do you think it'll have any sort of impact on the way people are thinking about the outcome of the election coming next Saturday? Hard to tell. Um, these are very unstable times right across the Western world. Look at America, the Trump versus Clinton dynamic. Uh, Look at Europe, deeply, deeply in debt, hasn't grown for many years, massive problems with youth unemployment, which is what happens when an economy really turns sick. Uh, And now a divide in England because, uh, you know, it was 52-48, a lot of people wanted to remain, and uh, the Scots and the, the Irish may very well now have plebiscites of their own. You may very well have the same, or referendums of their own, you may have the same thing now happening in parts of Europe. I hope not. Uh, in a normal global environment, I would say the world is overreacting and that everyone should take a back and lie down and think this through carefully and it'll be all right. The danger at the moment is that it comes at a time when the world is absolutely racked with unconscionable levels of government and private and corporate sector debt. Australia being one of the very few countries where... These things are still manageable if if we wake up to ourselves now. Uh, with the election on the way, and uh, given that Malcolm Turnbull is keen to perhaps make some mileage on the, uh, the unrest, uh, the instability that's happening there in Europe, when we take a big picture look at the world, and I know you are across the headlines, I mean, there are so many challenges around the world. There's something like 15 conflicts that are going on and uh, 63 million people are displaced. Uh, Sometimes we look at our own backyard and uh, we can be so surprised about how good things are here in Australia. But all of these things that are going on around the world, upsets, uh, the Brexit, uh, as you say, the the challenges that are going on in the United States, uh, they've got uh, their own uh, upheavals that are, are being faced there. Uh, when we think of just how significant things are in the world and you compare here our backyard in Australia, what are your thoughts on on whether people perceive the issues of the world being so bad and whether they have much impact on us? Uh, I think there are huge numbers of people who are very concerned and very anxious and very aware that things are not going well. On the other hand, 
I also think people have become pretty disillusioned and don't buy into the debates very much. So I think what you've seen during this campaign is a great reluctance on the part of a lot of Australians to engage. They don't seem terribly impressed or interested either way. I have to say I think it's a very important debate uh, and a very important election. And look, let's put the cards on the table. I am a former coalition member. Uh, but I think what you've got here is that for a long time, the broad general direction of government policy has been agreed between Labor and the coalition, probably really since the Hawke days, opening up of the economy, um, real freedom in the workplace and what have you. That's been the trend line. You've now got a very stark choice because um, uh, uh, you've got to build a cat. I mean, uh, it, it, it's the position they've adopted. I'm not trying to misrepresent them. But under Bill Shorten, the Labor Party has decided that we ought to go down the European road of very big government, what used to be called almost socialism. So, you know, endless amounts of more spending on health and on education and so on and so forth all sounds attractive. The problem is that's precisely, I, I have to be frank about this in my view, I honestly believe this, it's, it's those piling up of expenditure and then uh, not being prepared to tax people to pay for it as you go so you pile up debts which your children then pass on. So I think that is the choice this time. Uh, personally, I, I think the campaigners lacked luster and bite and uh, conviction um, all round. I'm sorry to say that, but I do. Uh, nonetheless, there are. I think there is a stark choice. And I think, too, for believers, this very vexed issue that's tearing at the soul of an awful lot of Australians of, of, of same-sex marriage and the plebiscite, and the language that's gone with it, which I, I find really personally very concerning, very distressing, um, we've got that debate coming up, and it's got the potential to do a lot of harm. We know that most Australians don't think it's important, but to uh, a significant number of people, it is seen as very important on both sides of the debate. And the plebiscite has the ability, it doesn't matter whether it's a plebiscite or a debate, if we're not careful... Uh, this could get very acrimonious and very difficult indeed. And yet, plainly, the Australian people believe, and I believe they're right, the plebiscite is the right way to handle it. This decision ought to be made by the people, not by the parliament. Interesting, and I've had earlier, just before uh, our conversation, a uh, conversation with Lyle Shelton from the Australian Christian Lobby, and uh, we were talking a little about the Brexit and the effects of the people's voice, the people's speaking, and uh, he was reflecting on the Brexit, the fact that the people had their say, and even though while the commentariat was so uh, forthright in suggesting that it was going to go one way, the people spoke and it went a different way. Uh, Name-calling was a part of that too, but xenophobe was the the primary name-calling that was happening in that debate. Uh, when it comes to name-calling, is there is there something you've picked up over the years, John? Uh, we Aussies, do we... Do we get influenced by that whole almost bullying idea of uh, people calling his name? Was, or is there something in us that sort of uh, rises up and reacts to that sort of thing? Do you know, I genuinely don't know, but I sincerely hope the latter. I sincerely hope the latter. Can I say to you, you know, and to your listeners, I, you know, for whatever my failings, I think I'm a committed Australian and I'd like to think I've been committed to good social outcomes. Uh, and I don't think I'm a hater by nature. I find it staggering that I now apparently live in a country where because I have deep reservations 
about the Safe Schools Program stripping away our children's innocence as much as anything else, and because I personally do believe in the retention of marriage as it's currently defined, apparently, according to many very influential Australians, I am now a homophobe and a bigot and a hater who shouldn't be given a platform. Well, I find that deeply disturbing, and I don't think that sort of approach should be rewarded, frankly. And so to be really honest with you and your listeners, I hope that's the way Australian people feel. If we're going to have this debate, I think the first thing we need to do is have a debate about how we're going to have the debate. And we ought to make a claim that name-calling and describing other people in the most derogatory terms because they hold a different position, regardless of who's making the description, whichever side they're on, while that goes on, frankly, I think we ought to say, well, the debate's not going to start until that name-calling stops. If I had my way, that's what I'd be insisting on. And, and this is coming right from the top of the Labor Party, and, and it's almost sad to say this, but Bill Shorten is one of those who uses the name-calling. He, he's called opponents to uh, the idea of same-sex marriage homophobes, and yes. that's a very divisive thing. And I guess when you talk about... Uh, leaders of nations, uh, leaders of opposition parties, as Bill Shorten is the leader of the Labor Party, you hope that there is some level of statesmanship there that might be able to be above that sort of argument. But he's immersed himself in one side of the argument so deeply that it's it's made uh, all those supporters of Labor have to support that whole idea of uh, pursuing same-sex marriage. Well, um, you know, you have to call a spade a spade. That is what he's done. I was speaking to one of the country's most respected journalists the other day, I won't mention any names, but I said to him, quite apart from the fact that I have concerns about the direction of all of this push, um, I find it horrendous that the most basic freedom we have in a Western liberal democracy is freedom of speech and freedom of conscience, and the Labor Party's denying it its members, as are the Greens, as I understand it. They are not giving their members a choice. Their members and senators do not have a choice. They have to support the party position. One very noble um, man who stood on principle was, of course, Joe Bullock, the senator from Western Australia. He resigned from the Labor Party over its refusal to give him a conscience vote. And I said to this very senior journalist, who, you know, I shouldn't repeat his name, but he's a very respected name. I said, am I wrong? Am I missing something here? Shouldn't the media be highlighting the fact, regardless of where their personal positions are on this issue, that it is a horrendous thing for an old and honourable entity like the Australian Labor Party, has been around a very long time, one of the major institutions in the whole Western world, because it is, let's give it that, or it has been, denying freedom of speech. And he just looked at me and he said, um, I think you're absolutely right. It is as much of an issue as the position they've adopted, that denial of free speech. And so I, I, I can only put it this way again. I really hope voters will not reward that approach. And you've got to remember that it's only a few years ago that all of the Labor Party voted in favour uh, of the amendment to the Marriage Act to define marriages between a man and a woman. So apparently they were not homophobes and bigots and haters a decade ago when they voted for that strengthening of the Marriage Act. But somehow in the meantime, they've... Um, you know, alter their position completely, 180 degrees. Mm. And now you are a hater and a homophobe and a bigot if you have reservations about same-sex marriage.
We're taking calls, 1-800-316-316. We'll take some calls in just a few moments, but, John, don't want to leave Malcolm Turnbull out of the picture here because he's in favour of same-sex marriage, but he's got a different approach to the bullying tactic of Bill Shorten. Uh, he Is he, in, in fact, here uh, showing uh, something of a uh, party leadership by way of, uh, of giving people a voice and uh, trying to navigate uh, all sides in the debate and yet uh, on his own personal uh, position uh, trying to hold firm as well? Well, that's probably a good summation of it. I mean, that's uh, one of the things that has always been allowed for on the coalition side and particularly the National Party, which I led. We did allow for differences of conscience. We did not bind our members to vote against their conscience on the floor of the House. Uh, And I, in particular, defended the right of my members to vote differently if they saw fit. Now, um, Malcolm, to his credit, though he himself supports same-sex marriage, uh, is insisting that people behave in a civilised way. Uh, This is where, assuming he is the Prime Minister next week, uh, I think he has a great responsibility to be a statesman, And I hope he will say this debate can only proceed if we, all of us, stop using abusive and personal language and attacks and actually get to the facts here, because there are a lot of facts. There there is a very great deal of information. I found that time and time and time again uh, that um, even people that, uh, that, that might normally have thought about this quite a bit haven't thought through the full implications. Whose freedom of speech, for example... There will be real restrictions of freedom on speech. We've seen that with safe schools, where you know some of the ideologues behind safe schools have been quite determined to say no, parents don't have a right uh, to uh, to really influence what their kids are taught at school. Well, that's very serious. That's really serious stuff. When the, when when we have a nanny state approach that says the state uh, is better equipped to educate our children than mums and dads, we should all be saying, whoa, where is this going? What sort of society do we really want to be? Now, let me just bring your attention to the Nationals for a moment because uh, you're a former Nationals leader, former Deputy Prime Minister, and as I understand it, it's the Nationals who are holding, in some sense, uh, Malcolm Turnbull to account here with uh, holding the line and uh, making sure that there is a a process within the coalition uh, bringing about uh, the likelihood of this particular plebiscite. Have you had any sort of reflection on, on the way that the Nationals have have risen to this uh, this challenge here? Well, I, I think I'd want to broaden it a little bit and just say that there are many people right across the coalition who are committed to a plebiscite. That is the policy they struck. It went through the joint party room. It's evident that it's not only the overwhelming bulk of the National Party, but a very clear majority of the Liberal Party as well that believe that's the right approach. Now, the interesting thing about that is that we now know the Australian people support that approach as well. And uh, one of the things I have been keen just to say to people, I'll say it again now, uh, you may be confused, you may even be feeling a little disillusioned, whatever it is coming up to next Saturday, and I know a lot of people are, let's be honest about this, but please, people, voters, I I do urge voters to stop and think if same-sex marriage and the whole direction uh, that this sort of debate about sexuality in our community is going is of concern to you, regardless of which side of the debate you sit on, 
you know, uh, there, there are people who are in favour of same-sex marriage who are deeply concerned about the tenor of the debate. They can see how destructive it is. They can see how it's going to divide us. Well, uh, the answer is to make sure you vote for people who solidly support the plebiscite because there has to be a real possibility, frankly, that a tricky Senate, if we end up with a tricky Senate, and there's a fair chance we will if people aren't careful, uh, will play games with this uh, and try and forestall the plebiscite. Uh, um, so I think people need to send, uh, if they're worried about this, and I hope that Frankly, I hope that's every Australian because I think this has the potential to have a very real impact on our society in the future, one way or the other. Uh, I think um, the coalition policy is right on it. I think the Labor, I'll say this, I think the Labor Party's position on this is deeply regrettable and absolutely wrong to bind their members. And so I think that should influence people's need to think through carefully. Make sure you support people in the Senate who are going to uh, follow through on, on, on the people deciding this issue. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. one 800 to be part of our conversation. John Anderson, former Deputy Prime Minister and leader of the Nationals. Our guest, we're talking all things in the lead up to the election and beyond and those sorts of issues that are affecting the world. You might have your own thoughts. Uh, we'll take calls about the Brexit, about election issues. one 800 John, let's take some calls. Uh, let's hear from Jim in Brisbane. Hello, Jim. Welcome along. Yes. Good morning, gentlemen. I can't say guys anymore, can I? Um, <laughs> Thank you for the discussion. John, I received an email from, from, from some friends that you set out with regards to the very important election. The only thing that I, do, I agree with the most things you're saying, the only thing is I, I can't trust Malcolm Turnbull. Look, he knifed Abbott in the back. He's already for same-sex marriage and everything like that. And he was on Q&A the other night when somebody brought up a question about homophobia in a, within the Liberal Party. And he said, yes, he's had discussions with various colleagues in there, and he gave implicit support to the claim that Bernardi and other coalition MPs are homophobic. Uh, you know, there was a good opportunity. Because he's left-leaning anyway, he's, he loves the ABC, he's come through and he, and he said that. So to tell you the truth, OK, I'm not going to vote Labor because there's no democracy with Labor anymore. There, you can't have a voice with, with regards to opinions on various things. But Mr Turnbull, you know, like... He's already done the dirty with regards to some of the things that he's done already. And um, I, I just have this hesitant. And when you're saying about we need to get in the Senate the Liberal Nationals, fine. But what about some of these independents that will stand up for these very things? I don't know what our Liberal National Senators do. I know that there's a couple in, in Queensland I know that do, but some may not. So, Jim, some good points in that. Let's hear from John Anderson. John? Uh, there are. I understand where you're coming from, and I see a lot of people making the same comments. I can only say that, as Malcolm Turnbull acknowledged on Q&A, it is coalition policy. Uh, if the coalition, and indeed the Labor Party, after the last two terms, haven't learnt by now the detestation that the Australian people have for them walking away from promises, they never will. So uh, I, I think... Uh, my view would be, and this is what I'll be doing, I'll be voting for the coalition. It's easy for me because I can vote for my local National Party member who's very supportive of these issues, but vote for them and say, don't walk away from the commitment you made. Don't walk away from it. The Australian people are cynical enough already.
Jim from Brisbane, thanks so much for your input. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Rob in Mount Barker in WA. Hello, Rob. Welcome along. Yeah, how are you going? Good, Rob. What are your thoughts? Yeah, oh, this thing with gay, gay, gay marriage. I'm getting sick of hearing about it, actually. I thought when they voted, we all voted not to have it because it's not right when they change the rules. I thought we had rules to keep the rules. Why, why, even, why are we still going on about it? There's a simple fact that a marriage is between a man and a woman, and we want to change the rules all the time. Sorry, yeah. uh, oh, Rob. No, no, no. A relevant for, point. I have sympathy for gay people, but also I'm a hypocrite anyway because I don't mind two women being together, but not two men. So I'm, does that make me a hypocrite? I think consistency is going to be important when you talk about same-sex marriage. But let's uh, some thoughts from John Anderson. Look, um, I, I think my response would be to say that uh, it, uh, it has been now subject to an awful lot of parliamentary debate and time for a long time. And we know from the research that most Australians don't think this is an important issue confronting the nation at the moment. They don't think it's a priority. Uh, but very plainly, there are enough people, particularly amongst what might be now called the elites, uh, that uh, this, uh, that we're not going to let this go away until it's resolved. And that's why I think having the people resolve it is the only chance now of getting a solution in a way that minimises the damage. You won't stop the damage. There's going to be damage because there are going to be people, whatever the result, who are going to be unhappy. But it's, this is the way to minimise the damage. I think that's the only thing I can say. I don't think we should be debating it anymore. Um, I agree with you. But we are, and it isn't going to go away. And, of course, we're continually told we have to be like other countries. That means other Western countries, uh, it should be noted, because a very great majority of countries, including in our region, are not moving in this direction at all. Rob from Mount Barker in WA, thanks so much for your input today on 2020. Let's hear from Sandra in Brisbane. Hello, Sandra. Welcome along. Hello. Hello, John. Hello, Sandra. Uh, um, look, I've just been listening, and I, I just was wanting to contribute um, two things that uh, you've just said that it's national party policy to um, stay with marriage and that's what I believe that the national party should do they should just stand firm stand on the ground that they already have we also have marriage as it is in our land and I believe that we should stand on that law we should not go into negotiating now, there is a group that want to change the law, but we should stand with what we have. The other point is that, OK, if we do have to go into and have a debate, you said it bef just before, uh, earlier, about um, let's get to the facts. Now, a gentleman earlier just tried to explain how he's interacting with his conversations now, the facts are, and now I may start to use some politically incorrect words here, but the facts are that we've gotten away from the facts and now we're tangled up with marriage. Now, the facts are about relationships. There are guidelines, biblical guidelines, of what homosexuality is, what sodomy is, what fornication is, what adultery is. So if we're going to have 
a debate. We need to get back to the facts and we have to start talking about righteous, godly relationships. Sandra, I'll cut you short there because we're heading up to the news. Uh, Your thoughts, John Anderson? I think we need to realise that we now live pretty much in a post-Christian age uh, and uh, um, that means that if you hold a Christian view on these things, uh, you're actually going to be in a minority now in Australia. Um, I'd make two comments about that. One is that I would urge uh, Australians to be intellectually honest about this. As John Howard said the other day, Christianity has been the greatest shaper of our Western freedoms uh, and the establishment of the right to freedom of speech, freedom of conscience. That's where you don't find it in other cultures and in other creeds. Uh, so that's been a great blessing. Let's not now abuse it. And uh, we have every right. The second point I'd make is that every group has every right to put their perspective wherever you are on this continuum. But I suspect that a lot of the people who say they believe... John, I'll have to cut in because we're going to news, but we'll follow through and uh, talk some more about this after the news. Uh, Early on, we mentioned the idea of the possibility of a tricky Senate, uh, the risk of things getting to a point where where the Senate might actually be a new and difficult crossbench. And then, of course, there's got to be legislation that gets through for there even to be a plebiscite on the issue of marriage. What are your thoughts about just how messy things can get beyond the election? Uh, look, how long is a piece of string? Uh, I hope they don't. But I have to say to you, there is there's simply no way of knowing what the outcome will be in the Senate, nor of knowing uh, when uh, the debate starts where individual senators might go. I have to say that. We can't know. Is there a possibility uh, that uh, that it may be something that will have backfired on the Prime Minister, calling the double dissolution, uh, trying to get rid of a aggressive, contentious uh, crossbench, that it actually may be worse than what he might have anticipated? Well, again, I, you know, um, we can't know. We honestly can't know. Um, it's 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 just an impossibility to sort of pick from where I sit how this might unfold. I I hope and I pray for a stable outcome because I think that we live in times when we need governments that can govern, uh, that can set priorities and start to tackle some of these problems like our out of control spending. They haven't been able to do that now. We've we've really had several years of hamstrung government. Some of it particularly bad. And this needs to break. I mean, Australian people want it broken. But I might as well be frank and say sometimes I despair of their approach to fixing it. Uh, when I hear people not thinking it through properly, not recognising that um, it's a bit too easy just to say pox on all their houses, I'm just going to vote informal, or I'm going to vote this way, or I'm going to vote that way. Um, and it, it, it really does require people to think this through carefully. We'll talk some more about that as we get uh, into this segment. Uh, Let me just bring you back to uh, the marriage plebiscite. And uh, interestingly, while this is a a huge issue and we talk about it a lot, uh, when you start to talk about uh, debt out of control and the inability of government to actually take measures to rein those sorts of things in, uh, that actually becomes actually a bigger and more important issue. But uh, but people tend to uh, want to talk about the marriage issue. Let me just ask you, I mentioned the idea that before there could be a plebiscite beyond an election, there would have to be 
legislation that would pass through the lower yeah. house and then into the upper house. Uh, and right. uh, and there would be people who'd be anticipating what might happen if there's a coalition victory and uh, to how they could stifle even the idea of having a marriage plebiscite. Is that something you've thought through? Oh, yes. Uh, well, I can't tell where it's going to land, but uh, you can nearly guarantee that that is happening. You nearly guarantee there will be people starting to mutter and talk and think about how they can stymie the plebiscite. See, what needs to be faced here, and I want to preface this remark by saying that all of us have a responsibility to engage in this debate, but to do so with respect and for recognition of a very important biblical principle, which is that every individual has worth and dignity. Every individual. And uh, as, uh, as the old saying has it, I may disagree with you, but I'll defend to the death your right to say it. So having prefaced my remark with that, those two comments, the, the remark I want to make is this. We need to recognise that there are people here who don't so much... They don't want to win a debate. They actually want to stop us having a debate. And, 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 and that's never a good thing in a democracy. You always get the best results if you have all of the facts on the table. People agree on the facts, and they then argue through very carefully uh, how to go from there. And the use of social media, the rise of social media over the past decade has created something which is still being thought through. We're still testing the waters, aren't we? Because uh, there is a bullying that can happen in an online uh, conversation which uh, hasn't really been a part of uh, election debates and uh, issues debates over decades that have gone before. Well, I think that's right. I was talking to some young people last Christmas about this. Um, and they just sort of said, uh, funnily enough, I asked why it is that you can get away these days with conflating um, uh, race and religion. So it's racist to question Islam, for example. It's as logical as saying it's racist to question Christianity because there are people of all races. That's right, it's not a race issue. Faiths. And it was interesting talking to five or six university students, and they said, we all know that's true but it's not worth putting our head up on it because we just get clobbered. And I thought, well, that's terrific. In a free country where our very um, freedom itself derives from an understanding that, you know, you've got to establish the facts and you've got to respect the other person's point of view, we've got these young people acknowledging that there's a lie at the heart of one of the big issues confronting us today, but you can't undo the lie. So that's, you know, where we've got to. And... We need to be demanding a higher quality standard of debate of ourselves first. It's always important, you know. You've got to pull the log out of your own eye before you pull the speck out of your brother's. And I'm very aware of uh, the fact that I've often been blind and unreasonable and unfair. Uh, but that's at least a starting point, the acknowledgement that I'm not always right and I need to hear what the other person's saying before we have the debate. So preparing the is about the facts, not the other person. Preparing for a battle uh, in debate, uh, and at the same time uh, not giving way because you're afraid to put your head up over the uh, uh, over the parapet and uh, might take a shot or two. Uh, but uh, but respectfulness uh, is something that has to come from the side of people who are arguing for. Uh, marriage between a man and a woman. We're taking calls on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Val has been waiting patiently. Hello, Val from Parks. Welcome along. Hello, thank you. Val, what are your thoughts? I want to know when we vote, is it important to put the Christian Party first, or should we go for one of the major parties this time? 
Uh, let's get some thoughts, uh, John Anderson, and being a, a former uh, national leader uh, of the National Party and and uh, former Deputy Prime Minister, and you've already, uh, you know, obviously on the the coalition side of uh, of politics. But uh, for people who are thinking about voting uh, for a Christian party, what are your thoughts on that? Look, I can only honestly say, uh, I think it's the only way I can respond, is to say that um, it's up to, you know, we have freedom of choice. It's absolutely every voter's right to determine how they're going to vote. Now, um, I personally will be voting for uh, my own party, uh, but I understand why people in good conscience would want to vote for other parties. I only say this, please be discerning. Please look at where your vote may end up, especially if you're not careful with the preferences Last time round, you could have voted for a Christian party, which didn't get there and ended up um, having your preferences distributed to uh, you know, a bunch of um, wild atheists. And, and, and it happened. And we ended up, that was partly how we ended up with such a mess. I just, I just feel in all conscience, I understand the question. Um, uh, I just feel uh, in this context, it's not for me to go any further than to say that I'll be voting for a major party because this time round, my objective on this issue of the plebiscite in particular, is to ensure that I vote for a, a team that is committed to it, and then I'll do everything I can, and you know, write letters, say publicly and so forth, you gave us your commitment, don't walk away from it. Because as you pointed out, there are people in the coalition itself who would rather have a conscience vote in the parliament. But that's not their policy. They've gone to the election promising something else, they need to stick to it. Val from Parks, thanks so much for your input today. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. 1-800-316-316. The value of Christian minor parties, John, is that uh, when they come up with policies, uh, one might hope that they've been uh, going through a discernment process to make sure that those are in some ways Christian, biblically aligned policies, and and you might assume that those are. Uh, The value of those Christian minor parties uh, in holding bigger parties to account uh, or at least providing some sort of an, an alternative, uh, some sort of a, uh, a pillar or, a, uh, you know, uh, something that is a, a measure uh, to navigate direction forward. Is there value in, in those Christian minor parties having that sort of voice? I think there's been some evidence around the country where they have fulfilled that role with um, some honour. Yeah, I do. And I understand and respect those who, who choose to support uh, uh, that approach. I, I genuinely do. Uh, I can understand it. Uh, and yes, I think you can see there are times when there's been some value in it. I would simply, though, say we mustn't fall into the American mistake where those who purport to represent uh, a Christian view in our parliaments are very narrow in their focus. Um, I'll give you a classic example. I think economic management is a hugely important moral issue for Christians, hugely important. In fact, I see that uh, there's just been a recognition of this by the churches in England. They, for years they attacked Margaret Thatcher for her, what they thought they were always added to spend more on Social Security and what have you. They now get that there was a moral purpose to her vision to live within the means, because if you don't, that's a biblical principle, live within your means. If you don't live within your means, you can end up crippling your children and your grandchildren's future, which is what's happening in Europe. So uh, I just make that plea for breadth. There's a whole range of issues that should be concerning Christians, uh, as well as the obvious immediate ones of how we behave and how we structure our uh, approaches to things like education and marriage and social security. 
Let's talk about economic management for a moment and uh, talk about the possibilities beyond the election because uh, I guess for some people thinking through issues and saying worst case scenario, uh, hung parliament and uh, a, a, a similar number of seats for coalition members and perhaps for Labor and the Greens and what that might mean for the economic management because uh, people would have to say uh, Malcolm Turnbull has treaded very softly, very carefully and, and hasn't taken those same uh, tougher measures which were uh, under, the, uh, under uh, Tony Abbott and... Uh, and his treasurer, there's certainly been a softly, softly approach. If there is uh, that worst-case scenario, uh, John Anderson, uh, are we likely to continue to see people not taking the structural changes necessary to actually uh, get the debt and deficit under control? Yes, we are, because that's the problem. If you've got a place, one of the, either house controlled by independence, you do get this problem. Let's just not run away with this. Let's not deny truth and reality as it's unfolded. This problem where they promise everything and want to deliver all good things, hand out lollies all over the place with no responsibility or care for what it might mean for tomorrow. Um, and uh, that's how you get into this mess. It, it, it's, you go right back to the days when we were in government and we actually had an expenditure review committee, which I was on, uh, which was charged with responsibility for ending the flow of red ink and getting the country out of out of endless deficits and back into surplus and pay the debt off. And we managed to do it. But it required incredible teamwork, and that's what people miss. I understand in uncertain terms at one level why people want to hedge their bets and not give too much power to any one party. In reality, though, when you strip them of the ability to govern, and that's what's been happening, uh, we really do end up in a serious situation. And our mess is not yet anything like Europe's. But I want to stress that we need to recognise that trend lines are wrong. They are, in, they are headed in the wrong direction. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. This is 2020. On Vision Christian Radio. John Anderson, our guest, former Deputy Prime Minister and leader of the Nationals, uh, talking through all sorts of issues on the downhill run towards the election. Uh, John, coming into the final stretch... And uh, everybody will be on the uh, on the the edge of their seats, no doubt, on all sides of uh, government, uh, all sides of parliament, because uh, uh, things can go very wrong in the lead up to uh, an election. Uh, I, I guess uh, people will be trying to sort of tread fairly carefully through the coming week ahead. Well, uh, I assume they will. It's a pity in a way because. I don't think this campaign has really captured the imagination of the people and brought their buy-in uh, in the way that it should because these are dangerous times globally and we've got a young, vibrant country uh, that, that, that's got itself bogged, in my view, prematurely. We need to pull ourselves out of that bog and set some positive directions and that does require you've got an effective management team in Canberra. Okay. Well, people will be working very hard to do that. Uh, there'll be a lot of attack ads that we'll see uh, on the television. Uh, there'll be all sorts of uh, perhaps nasty things said in an effort to get a last-ditch uh, headline. Uh, let's talk about the nation, though, and a vision for the future. And uh, and I, I know that, as we've been saying, as a, as a coalition man, uh, obviously you're going to have a a bias a little that way, but a vision for the future of Australia. There is a sense, isn't there, in which we are well-placed 
uh, for the century ahead, and so far as our proximity to Southeast Asia and Asian nations, uh, there is a sense, isn't there, in which uh, having a vision ahead is going to be important. As you look at all the sides and what they've been talking about, uh, some will say there's not been a lot of vision talked about in this uh, in this campaign. Well, I think that's probably right, um, and, and I think that's a great shame because I think I would want to say that uh, we are still a young country. We're relatively debt-free. Trend lines are wrong, but we're relatively debt-free. It can be captured now and fixed. Uh, we, um, we are in the happening part of the world. It's going to be the Asian century. Asian economies are strengthening. Their societies are strengthening. Interestingly, of course, the Christian faith is exploding across Asia, even in Indonesia, 35 million believers. Uh, and uh, believers there doing some astonishing things, building you know, better schools and hospitals and I mean, really staggering stuff that's almost beyond our ability to dream. And uh, I say that because we need to start, I won't say dreaming again, but we need to have a positive vision of where we can go and how we can be a great place. You know, uh, the Edmund Burke, the great philosopher, is best known for the saying that all it takes for evil to prosper is good men to remain silent. He also said the most important contract any society writes is the one between the dead, the living, and the unborn. Now, you know, we see young Australians now going out every year on Anzac Day to remember what those who have gone before us have given us. What are we going to hand on to our kids? A European-style debt mess? No opportunities for young people? Taxes through the roof? Um, economic growth sluggish? Or are we going to hand them on a country of the sort that we baby boomers inherited, which was a marvellous place that had been through tough challenges where people had displayed a real commitment to the country. So my view would be, if you were to say to me, how should you vote in this election? I'll tell you how you should vote. I said this the other day at a gathering, and uh, the, the coordinator looked horrified. He, he thought I was going to turn it political. I said, that you, what you should do is you should vote for your neighbour. That's a good principle. And the most important neighbours are probably your children and your grandchildren. Vote for a strong and positive Australia for them. <sighs> We're running out of time. A few thoughts, John Anderson, on the idea that uh, the church perhaps is in a little bit of a malaise at the moment, uh, uh, that society has turned secular, and that's got a whole lot of uh, different uh, connotations to what that really means. But the church does appear to be have been pushed off to the sides. Uh, how ought the, in your opinion, uh, the attitudes and uh, the, you know, we talk about pessimism, uh, ought we to be pessimistic about Christian faith in Australia or is there something to be optimistic about, uh, even though things might seem a little tougher for the church? Well, it's a good question. I'd love to talk on it forever. But I'd make a couple of comments. First, is situation normal? Most societies have not exactly welcomed the Christian faith. It's a tough message, very tough message. Uh, and uh, we've just lived in a time when the churches have had real standing because of the, way, the history of Western democracies and the positive role that they played in building them. Now people have turned their backs. Uh, you know, a lot of people are either at, at least disinterested, a lot are actually hostile. Probably in some ways good for us. It makes us uh, focus on what we really believe and get active. But the second point I'd make is that there's a freedom in that. What we now need to do is to say to the world, OK, well, you keep preaching diversity at us. Great. We're in favour of diversity too. So recognise that uh, uh, we are part of a diverse group in Australia and we have every, I believe, right, even obligation to put our views into the public square and we'll do so with respect and with decency 
and with humility and I hope with compelling conviction because in a sense we ought not to think that the Christian faith is unintelligent. It's not. As Timothy Keller uh, in New York has commented recently, he believes that Christianity is intellectually uh, sound uh, and uh, believable uh, and uh, that it is existentially uh, satisfying. It works. And so with humility, but with conviction and with, uh, I believe, real thoughtfulness, we can be free to put that point of view. The other point I'd just make is let's recognise, as I said a moment ago, we live in Asia. It's not as if a Christian church is failing in Asia. It's exploding. We now know that, for example, that there are somewhere around 150 million committed Chinese Christians in that country alone. That will change the course of human history. It always has. Wherever there's been a strong Christian uprising... People agitate for the rule of law and for decent treatment of little people. Uh, that's very powerful. And it's as you say, while there is going to be always a constant flow of issues to be pessimistic about, uh, there are a lot of things to be optimistic about, uh, whether we're talking about the economic status of our nation, or whether we're talking about what's happening in our part of the world. So many things to be optimistic, to be hopeful about. And uh, one of those things I think that the church has been good at over the uh, generations has been to find those areas of optimism and to find those issues of hope uh, that really can only come from our faith in God uh, that can set us uh, in a place where we can be a tremendous influence and a light and a leadership role uh, for people who are looking for direction. Uh, John Anderson, great getting your insights as always. Always appreciate a conversation with you and on these issues at a particularly important time. I really do uh, appreciate you taking time to talk to us. John Anderson, former Deputy Prime Minister and leader of the Nationals, uh, thanks for being with us today on 2020. A pleasure. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.